this uh, young pastor uh, from First Baptist Clio. He's going to share. It'll be about 7 p.m. We'll have uh, Rick Marcus come. Uh, he moved here from Indiana. Uh, not a very good prospect where he's at and left a good church to pastor here. We want to try to help him a little this Wednesday night if we can. And uh, next Sunday, of course, is the Sunday before Christmas. And so I hope you'll plan to celebrate the true meaning of Christmas by celebrating the risen Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, beautiful Christmas service. I'm going to be preaching, by the way, next Sunday on the virgin birth. Why Why is the virgin birth significant? Why do we need Jesus to be born of a virgin? If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We've been looking at Isaiah chapter 6, and we've seen that Isaiah has, in a time of crisis, has had a vision of God in the temple, and that it has convicted him so deeply he felt ruined. But God, through the sacrifice at the altar, cleansed his heart. And after that vision of the greatness and grandeur of God and the cleansing of God, he he hears the Lord's voice. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I. This is in verse 8 of Isaiah 6. Here am I, send me. And God says to Isaiah, All right, I'm going to send you, but you need to know where I'm sending you. This is going to be a tough road. Look at verse 9. God said, Go and say to this people, Keep hearing, but don't understand. Keep seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. All you're going to do, Isaiah, is harden their hearts, blind their eyes, and deafen their ears. That's going to be the effect of your ministry. And it's, and it's going to go downhill from there. So Isaiah, being a little bit dismayed at this assignment, verse 11, he says, How long, O Lord? Do I have to do this? And then God says, Till the cities are waste without an inhabitant, houses are without people. Verse 12, And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the land. What he's speaking here, of course, is that is the exile. In the Old Testament, The people of Israel, and this is about 700 years before Christ. And the people of Israel had become idolatrous. It speaks of this in 2 Kings 17 verse 15. It says they despised his statutes and his covenant. They despised it. They didn't want any part of it. So they went after false idols and followed the nations around them. 
even burning their own sons and daughters as sacrifices. Can you imagine that? They worshiped idols and engaged in child sacrifice of their own children. And so God, 2 Kings 17, 23 says, The Lord removed Israel out of his sight, and they were exiled from their own land. They were deported. This is the theme of the Old Testament, the defeat and the, uh, the decrease and the reproach of Old Testament Israel. It's a, it's a theme all the way through the Old Testament. It is a snapshot of Israel. And then you come to the key verse in Isaiah 6, what some have called the, one of the most significant verses of prophecies in the Old Testament. Maybe the most significant. Verse 13, And though a tenth remained, that is a tenth of the people, uh, it'll be burned again like a terebinth tree or an oak tree whose stump remains when it is felled. That is, here's this amazing statement. Old Testament Israel is like this huge oak tree. But as time goes on and they lapse into idolatry, then God's going to deport them sections by section, tribe by tribe. There were 12 tribes. And they would be removed from the land. And all the time Isaiah is preaching to them. And all the time they're getting worse and worse. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that my calling is difficult, but it is nothing like Isaiah. This is, this is a rough pastorate that he has here. So what you have here especially in verse 13, are three things. I'm going to give them to you, and then we'll go back and deal with them. One, you have a snapshot of Israel in the Old Testament. They're like a tree that has been felled, cut down. But then you have a snapshot of the New Testament. It says in verse 13, the stump remains when it is felled, and the holy seed is the stump. There's going to be a holy seed come out of that. When the entire Old Testament Israel has been removed and devastated, there's going to be a, a sprout that will come up. And then I want to say one third thing, and that is that this holy seed is greater than the Old Testament tree. The new tree is better than the old tree. So let's first of all notice the history of Israel is compared to a tree. Just a couple of words on this. This mighty, these trees he mentions here, he says in verse 13, though a tenth remain, it'll be burned again like a terebinth or oak tree. These were two strong trees in Israel. These weren't bushes. Israel in the Old Testament was at one time, especially under David and Solomon, like a huge oak tree reaching into the sky strong and mighty under David and under Solomon 
One army, one king in 2 Chronicles 17 said they had an army of over a million men in Judah. That's a big army. That kept back all enemies. That's how strong they were at one time in the Old Testament. But they turned to idolatry. Ezra 2.64 says the entire nation, the whole assembly, was reduced to 42,000 people, men, women, and children. So it's a history of defeat. It's a history of reduction. In fact, when Jesus came, the Romans were in charge of Israel. They were, Israel was still in servitude to the Romans. But now let's point out something else, and that is the snapshot of the New Testament because he says the stump, verse 13, remains and the holy seed is the stump. The New Testament has that remnant of Israel personified in Jesus and the disciples coming up, sprouting up again. There was life in it, in those people. There was a life that could not be squelched. It was the very life of God. And so Jesus, when he is born, he goes and he gets 12 disciples. Why do you think he gets 12 disciples? Why didn't he get seven? That's a good number. It's a Bible number. Why didn't he get... Ten, one for each of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Why did he get 12? It's because he's forming this new Israel. And each one will develop, each of those apostles developed into a ministry. And so it's the new tree that's coming out. And it's going to be powerful. He says the holy seed is its stump. God's people will be preserved and he's predicting the the regeneration, the, the flourishing of another tree. That's fulfilled in Christ and his disciples and the church. The, the reason I know that the kingdom in the New Testament is called a tree is because Matthew 13, verse 31 and 32 Do we have that verse that you can pull up? The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took. Notice the seed. And he sowed it in his field and it's the least of all seeds. But when it is grown and becomes a tree, the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches. He's talking about the New Testament kingdom, the New Testament church. It becomes a tree. Jesus said, and a mighty tree at that. So the New Testament presents God's people being renewed, being regenerated into a new tree. Though the Old Testament tree of Israel was cut down, the seed remains in the stump and life flourishes once again through Christ and His people. When I was um, 
We hadn't been at our house on Utley Road too long. Well, maybe, maybe a few years. But there was a maple tree in the back that was casting a shadow over my garden spot. So I decided I would cut it down. Now, it wasn't that big, but it was big enough to cast a shadow. So I got the chainsaw. Because, uh, you know, I am something of an outdoorsman. And, uh, <laughs> and so I cut down this maple tree. A year or two went by, and I noticed that it had begun to sprout. I thought, I wonder if that thing's going to live again. And... As the years went by, this has been about 10 or 12 years ago, that it began to grow up. And I looked out the window yesterday just to make sure. And that thing has grown so much, it is twice the size of the tree that I cut down. That's the difference in the Old and New Testaments. It's a tree cut down because it was based on the conduct of the kings and the lives of the people and the old covenant and therefore it was cut and devastated and failed. But in the New Testament it is based on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is rooted on the rock in the security of the person work of Jesus Christ. Therefore it will flourish twice as much as the old. Luke says it becomes a great tree in which the birds may come and nest in its branches. I think this solves something of a dilemma I had some years ago. You've heard, you've probably heard this verse. Matthew 7, 14. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And and many there be that go by, but few go the narrow road. That's in Matthew 7, verse 14. That's describing the Jewish nation, especially the Old Testament that Jesus was speaking to. That's his audience. In the very next chapter in Matthew, describing the Gentiles, the centurion, the Roman centurion who had come to Christ, he says, like this centurion Roman general, there are going to be many who come from the east and the west and the south and the north. And I used to think, well, which is it? Are there going to be few who are saved or are there going to be many? In the Old Testament, there were few. The tree was cut down. But in the New Testament, that tree, the sprouts come up again and are twice as many as before. Give me that graph. I think we've got a, a graph. This is the way I would describe the Old Testament. Ultimately, few are saved. But then Jesus comes and at the cross, in his resurrection, he secures the future of his people. Not only their future, but their growth, their prosperity, even their eternal destiny. Few in the Old Testament. 
But in Matthew 8, he says, many will come from the east and the west. So in the New Testament, many will be saved. We are living in the gospel age of many. Amen. I want to encourage you with that. I want you to be optimistic about the future of the church. It's going to grow into this great tree. And many will come, the birds of the air and the nest in its branches. John 12, 22. Jesus, speaking of his own life, says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, what happens to it? It bears much fruit. This is the impact of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. He dies for our sins. He's raised for our security and our blessing and our growth. And now he, he, by His Spirit, permeates the earth and in particularly His church to ensure its future and its growth. And let me just say one other thing here, and that is that the New Testament church, the tree in the New Testament, God's people in the New Testament, are much more powerful through Jesus Christ than the Old Testament tree that was cut down. This is not just a replacement. This is a glorious substitution. This is a glorious resurrection. The church is Israel revived. We have the same scriptures. We have the same God. We have the same promises. We have the same Messiah. But we are different in that the powerful risen Christ dwells in our midst. Some time ago, I was trying to do some landscaping in my front yard and I thought I want I want a nice little tree right up next to the house and so I went to Home Depot to shop to look for a, just a pretty little tree to put just a few feet from the house and I saw this tree and I thought, oh, that's gorgeous. I love that. I want to get that and put, maybe I'll get a couple of them, put them right next to my house. And I started to get them. Started, I was almost at the checkout. And I thought, I better see what kind of tree this is. <laughs> and... And it was a, they were red cedar trees. They were huge cedar trees. Now being the horticulturalist that I am, I knew that's not going to work. But can you imagine putting a, a cedar, a huge cedar tree right next to your house? It would have destroyed the foundation. The New Testament church rooted in Christ is a new tree. It's a flourishing new life that ultimately will shatter everything. It takes up everything. The church is not done in history. Some time ago I was reading a book by a man named Harold Eberly in which he does studies on the... the uh, 
future of the church and the, the civilizing and the Christianizing that the church has brought to the world. You know, there's two billion, over two billion professed Christians now in the world out of seven billion people. So it's, it's mushrooming. And, in, and even in places you wouldn't expect it, like Brazil and Africa, it, it, the, the church of Jesus Christ is growing. And he points out in his book, Eberly says that 200 years ago, and he gives all these footnotes, which I won't bore you with that, but he does source it. He says 200 years ago, 20% of the people who came to the United States were slaves. But the church rose up. You know, you've heard of the abolition movement? That's a church movement. And he points out that 200 years ago, it was the law of the land that a man could beat his wife. But you couldn't maim them. There you go. I, and I, I try to abide by the law. <laughs> but can you imagine how much the church has... Where did we get our message of the dignity and equality and the blessing and the reverence, the respect for women? Where do we get that? Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church as, as, and we are to love our wives as he loved the church and he gave himself for it. That's the church's message. You don't get that in the pagan world, in the Islamic world the Buddhist world. And think of abortion. I know there's been setbacks on abortion, but who's the voice for the innocent unborn in every generation? It's always been the church. People who profess faith in Christ. 200 years ago, Eberly points out that the abortion rate was about 30%. 200 years ago. And by the way, 200 years ago, the state with the highest abortion rate was Michigan. 34% highest in the nation. But the church has risen up. The church speaks out. And, and this nation's court system knows it can never pass laws easily without the church raising its voice in protest against the killing of the innocent unborn. The 200 years ago, the age of sexual consent was as low as nine years old. All the way up to 12. Some states had it as low as nine, others 12. But the church rose up because Jesus loved the little children. And everywhere the church has gone, this is a cedar that grows and pushes back against the darkness of the age in which it lives. And so when we look at this text, which 
Albert Barnes says it's the most, the most significant text and prophecy in the Old Testament. That he says, Old Testament Israel, there, even though a tenth remain, it'll be burned again like an oak. It's going to be reduced down. But the New Testament age, the holy seed is its stump. It'll, it'll flourish again. There's life in it. And in Christ and His church, there has been not confined to the boundaries and geography of Israel. We have overflowed those boundaries into all the world. This, this is a glorious place for us to come, find our home. A lady said to me one time, she said, you know, when I come to church, it's like I'm at home. It's like going home. This morning, as I was uh, leaving the building at Bristol Road to come here, somebody said, uh, Pastor, one of our ladies, one of our older ladies, fell. And she's hit her head. And so we need some, some people to help her. And so I went, and there, we already had uh, uh, nurses and emergency medical people there uh, helping her, setting her up, telling her how to hold her head. All people from the church. That's the way the church is. We gather, we comfort. This Wednesday night, why are we having this young man speak? You know why? Because we're going to take him up, take him up an offering for him. We're going to minister to him and his young family. I remember what it's like to be a young pastor and nobody seemed to care. So we're going to help him. That's what, that's what the church is. It's a great tree and birds come and nest in its branches. May God help us to be that kind of church. Amen. If our ushers could come, let's worship together with our giving today. And bow with me and let's pray for God to lead us on how we are to give. Ask Him what you should give today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your people and thank you for the new covenant age and thank you for the, the kingdom of God, the tree that flourishes that will never be cut down because it is rooted in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for letting us be a part this day of that church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, next Sunday, don't forget, Christmas is the Sunday before Christmas. We want to speak to you on the virgin birth and uh, why we need the virgin birth to, uh, as is taught in Scripture. So I hope you join us. Bring family. We'll have a great time and a beautiful Christmas service next Sunday morning. But after we sing, you pray for us and dismiss us.